is Real Kipper and Board on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Ready to kick it off here. Post-holiday edition of the Real Kipper and Bourne show. Nick Kiprios, Justin Bourne, our boy Sammy down south somewhere. The smartest one, JB, of us all. I know. What's going on here? I feel like he's on vacation every other week. He's just posted up in Cuba somewhere. Where is he? Cabo? You know, he wouldn't wouldn't dare pull off this crap before we brought him out to the real world (laughs) in our show. Before he was was just Tristan. That's what he was. (laughs) Tristan, are you out there? Our uh, our producer, our Sammy-like producer. I don't think he's near a microphone. Oh, lucky him. Yeah, I know. We'll lucky spare him. him. Now, how, how are you? You're good. You had a good break. I know you traveled. You you pulled a somewhat Sammy on us and 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 braved the elements out there. Yeah. yeah. Airports, <laughs> lost luggage, canceled flights. Did it affect you at all? No, no. We got super lucky. So first off, uh, thank you for asking. I feel like dying. Um, that is a mandatory part of the season, uh, half cold, half been sleeping in one room with a six and two year old who were up all <laughs> night traveling. So yes, I would like to die. Um, but other than that, we had no problem. The airports, well, Pearson was good. We went to LaGuardia and back without incident. Unlike everything else I see on Instagram and everywhere else. So very lucky. How, how was your holiday Kipper? Oh, I'm smart. I just didn't move. Didn't move. <laughs> just we had on the couch. We eh? did have plans to get out uh, uh, east a little bit. Uh, Prince Edward County's uh, a yeah. favorite of ours. Uh, unfortunately, all the roads were completely blocked off. No access really? in to Prince Edward County. Uh, it wasn't suggested. It was told you will go to jail if you attempt this. Really? That bad, oh, eh? Yeah. It was that bad. So we didn't we didn't mess around with that at all. Uh, a couple audibles, got the family together at my sister's. Yeah, uh, still managed to uh, to to pull in a a, a great uh, couple of days off for sure. Yeah, you know when we were down there, like the weather still was terrible out there. We I was going to take my son to his first ever Isles game. I had the tickets and the whole you know like we got parking, we got tickets, we got gear all set up. But the temperature was minus a jillion and it rained in the afternoon, so we couldn't go to that. So we once we got there, we were stuck in the house too. But again, with the family, no big deal. Uh, enjoyable Christmas all told. So you're 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 really gonna blame this uh, this cold on your kids, eh? You're not oh, gonna pull that yes. uh, killer Carlson from Slapshot and say that uh, I have a runny nose, uh, sore throat. I went out in the storm last week, and started the car, <laughs> the jacket. I didn't have my jacket on. <laughs> yeah. No, you don't want to. You don't want to pull that card out. And I am I am soft enough to make that excuse, but you know, show up thick or thin here. Little injury doesn't hold me back, Kip. Well, we're glad everybody's aboard wherever you're you're uh, listening, uh, whether it's on uh, Sportsnet 590 The Fan or downloaded on Spotify, iTunes, whatever your platform of choice. We're glad you are aboard. We're going to have a great two hours minus Sammy McKee, Brett Hall, two-time Stanley Cup champion, Hall of Famer, and St. Louis Blue alum will be joining us in about 40 minutes. Always great yes. to hear from Brett Hall, Luke Fox, of course, our uh, great writer, sportsnet.ca. He's going to be around in the second hour as well. 
and a ton of news and notes coming out of uh, the Christmas break, including the Leafs off of, what, four days uh, since their next-gen game against the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, They managed to squeak out a win, albeit maybe not the prettiest of wins in a 5-4 overtime versus the St. Louis Blues. And, uh, JB, where where do you want to start on this one? Because it is a challenging game, no question. Uh, The mad scramble to get in off of a a no-fly zone basically on the 26th. Yeah, I actually wanted to ask you about that. Like, did you feel like there was any patterns after Christmas about those types of games or how you felt or anything like that? I always... You know, when you're the home team, to me, it was always hard because you kind of roll out of the Christmas spirit and try to play a hockey game. At least when you travel, you have to flip the switch earlier. Yeah. Uh, No question it's a crapshoot, and you have no idea what you're going to get. And I'm sure Sheldon Key felt that way. Craig Berube felt that way. Uh, Not sure how much you caught of uh, the Battle of Alberta uh, in a close 2-1 win for the Edmonton Oilers. I listen to Connor McDavid talk about uh, the trends that he's seen throughout his Edmonton Oilers days where they don't respond well off of breaks. No. And uh, that's probably why their win last night in Calgary felt a, a little extra special. But I think we saw some some good, bad, and ugly uh, last night uh, from both clubs on, on at various times. But... Uh, I don't think that you probably want to put too much stock into it. No, it's, you know, I wrote an article like 12 years ago. I, I just found it on the internet, which is why I know when it was. But about you like... you got to get them out sooner. <laughs> My know? last article is 12 years ago. <laughs> oh, I thought you wrote it 12 years ago and I, it just came out. <laughs> but the, the I wrote it about like the post-Christmas bag skate. Like when junior in college, college in particular, you had a long break. So you'd come back and the coach would bag you and everyone smelled like vodka and gravy. And it was just a vile smelling skate on the ice, more or less. Like everyone still takes the break. So yeah, you're not going to have the sharpest players out there and the breakouts you do or breakdowns that happen in the game. They tend to be pretty glaring. And I thought that was the case with Toronto St. Louis where, you know, everyone's doing their best, but one little slip up, you're a step behind and there's a ton of chances, obviously nine goals last night. Not as you mentioned, not the prettiest hockey game, um, but they survived. Do you want to start by uh, getting into the clips a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I, why don't we start with uh, John Tavares, uh, sure. the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and, and talking about these types of game. And, of course, he's been around a long time, played many of them. Let's get his thoughts. You know, these games can be a little bit of a crapshoot sometimes. Um, just in general, you do the best you can to uh, get as uh, ready as possible. And, um, you know, at times I think we just uh, didn't close as quickly as we'd like. But, um, yeah, big two points, and especially when uh, maybe not your best, but you find a way can go a long way towards uh, the standings uh, at the end of the year. No question. Two points now, two points in October, end of the year, it doesn't matter. They all look the same after yeah. two games. I also like the idea, though, of finding a way – when things are different or feel weird or you're on the road, you know, this is something I think that the Leafs, it's going to be a big testament. You're a test for them when they get to playoffs, when things don't go right and you don't feel well and everything's not in the same old structure. Can you find a way? I think that might be the first John Tavares clip of the year, scintillating chit chat guy that he is. So <laughs> got him on there with a, with a crapshoot mention and a very good point. Pretty random hockey game. So they go up, uh, 
you know, uh, Kerfoot gets them up 3-1. And this is where you think uh, maybe at times in the past, JB, we'd see them uh, blowing the lead but losing the game. And I know that they ended up blowing the 3-1 lead. Right. But at 3-3, I didn't necessarily get the, the, the sense that, like, this is going to unravel. But in the past, I think we have seen yeah that way they played really well like the second period to get up and then i thought after that like it was kind of their hockey game kerfa was an interesting guy last night like if he could shoot the hockey puck he's like if michael jordan had to use like a i don't know like a wiffle ball instead of a basketball like he can do everything (laughs) he can play he can get around he just once he gets around the scoring areas not his forte i know he you know air quote shot one in the net route last night but would you make it his game he had pretty good jump Kerfoot is is one of those guys where basically since he's been here, it's not like he he's his skating alone is noticeable. He is yeah. a fantastic skater. Uh, he does uh, get up on the play. He can get in on a four check. Gets in good uh, shooting spots. Always, he's not cheated out of his looks yeah. as you had just mentioned. But there just there is a lack of finish there for sure. Um, you know, in a perfect world, it'd be great if. If Kerfoot could do be Kerfoot plus, um, but it's yeah. it's not there. But he certainly is a guy that Sheldon's made it abundantly clear is an important uh, piece to our, our our puzzle here. Yeah, and a night like last night where guys are dragging a little bit, that's an advantage having someone with the pop that he's got and able to get to some of those areas. So yeah, decent showing out of him last night. Uh, team hangs in there. I thought maybe we could go to Keith on liking the resiliency of the team last night. You want to hear that one? Absolutely. All right. I mean, you're coming in here, like I said, coming off the break. You're not quite sure what to expect from the guys and, and from the game. So you really are you're just trying to get out of it healthy and with two points. So to that end, I liked how our guys were resilient and found a way. And we'll pack up and head out to Arizona have a good practice tomorrow. And that- yeah, I don't think he spent too much time uh, post-game. <laughs> drawing that one up no i thought we could actually just then do keith on not putting much to stock into it and get into that a little bit there you go yeah okay <laughs> as a general rule you don't you don't get too critical of these games coming out of the break and even less so when you get two points so i thought you know it's it's a five four hockey game so there's a lot going on it's a little bit chaotic i didn't like them when we were in control of the game in the second period with the two goal lead that gave that back but uh you know have to like how the guys back and you know just while we wrap up on on a on a curve foot uh, do you need him to finish a lot of plays off when you've got yarn <laughs> at a goal and two assists the great kelly yarn and uh what almost a point a game since he's back if i'm not mistaken he's got six and seven or seven yeah. and eight but uh whatever it is it's it's not unnoticeable no, you know, and, and this is, I think, what they thought they were getting when they gave him a four-year contract was not someone they could play in the top six. No, I know. Hold on. Not a guy that well, can do yeah. this, but a guy he, who could go up for had, a couple games and do this here and there. Yes. And he had uh, no goals, I think, in Calgary. Uh, is that good? You know, he, he didn't spend that long there in Calgary, but couldn't couldn't score in a soccer net in yeah. Calgary, but has found a place right now and it's that uh the the ability to be up and down the lineup and but jb is this is this a guy that you know between now and 
the start of the first round, you 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 will be comfortable putting him in a top six to start the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, you know, this is one of those ones where you you get scared as a fan that they hope they don't talk themselves into that. You know what I mean? Like, you hope they don't see oh, this yeah. and go like, hey, boy, when he's up there, his numbers are actually pretty good. And, hey, maybe he can actually do this. And maybe, and then you get to the postseason and you're up against tight defenses and you're missing that little bit of offensive pop. And you go, oh, right, that's the guy whose career high in goals was 15. You know, like, the, he made a beautiful play to pull it uh, from behind the goal line on his backhand and get the toe around it to finish it last night. Great goal. But, yeah, I'm a little concerned they're going to talk themselves into Yarncroft because, I, you know, he's yeah. good, but he's got to be on the third line. I, I absolutely agree. And he has, I think, for the most part, been a consistent 30-plus type of guy when he's in a bit of a groove. And I think that's uh, the numbers that he had uh, majority in, in Nashville. If I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah, 30, 40 30, points. 15, 15 goals, 15 assists. Yeah. 16 and 16. Four check, kill us some penalties, do those things. Uh, but but yes, uh, certainly not signed an eight-year, I'm sorry, a, a four-year, $8 million contract to play top six. Mm-hmm. But he can certainly buy them some time to, to, to assess what they truly need come, come March. Yeah, buy them some time is an interesting thought. You know, I'm watching Tampa Bay right now, and I'm looking at the standings. There, Tampa Bay is up a ton of points on Detroit. Toronto and Tampa Bay are well back of Boston, like seven points plus. It just feels like neither team is going to catch either team or get caught. Like this 2-3 matchup seems predestined. So, you know, on the way in, I was thinking about it a little bit, and you look at Tampa Bay, and they are giving Sergachev some run as the PP1 guy, just trying out different looks. Like if Hedman gets hurt, can this guy run it? He's been very good for Tampa Bay in that spot. And I wonder, like, if Toronto, if this won't be more of an experimental period of the season. How does Yarncroc look here? How does this player look up or down the lineup? Like, I wonder if they won't use this time, because it seems like they're going to be stuck against Tampa. Is it not a testing ground now before the deadline to see what you have? Are you there right now? Thirty-five games into the regular season, you're seven points behind Boston. Isn't that a don't punt yet? Is what you're saying? Is, yeah. Is 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 that not a a a good week for the Leafs? A good week and a half for the Leafs, Leafs, and a bad one for Boston, and you're right back in the yeah back of things like. Uh, can you now, do you want to now start uh, uh, having your comfort zone in where you start experimenting and, and putting guys in different spots and, uh, and you, and you actually miss winning the Atlantic by two points. <laughs> it is no, it's a good point. Kip. Like if the goal, if it's becomes like a priority to win this division, do you make a trade earlier to try to, you know, to stay hot, to get hot? I understand that they're winning quite a bit right now, but, you know, they could be better. We know there's some weaknesses. Do you think this is going to be an active Toronto Maple Leafs team? Yeah, I, you know, it, it's it's funny because I'm I'm watching or I'm listening to Sheldon's post-game comments and it's, uh, let's keep it moving here and let's not... Uh, 
let's not make too much of this, but the actions of Sheldon behind the bench, and we saw him extremely animated yesterday yeah. coming off a break, and he has given it to the officials. <laughs> Didn't like an interference uh, a play on, call, right? on Ben in his own zone that led to the Cairo goal that I believe tied it up. Correct. And also the missed high stick on Aston Reese. Yeah. JB. I know. Like that that that's a guy that's not interested in just kind of cruising for me. Like he's grinding right away coming out of the grinding break. and yeah. working the officials and he wants the next call and I got to be honest with you man. I mean like w- w- like I I would have been I would have blown a gasket too watching no call on the high stick. Yeah. Pretty pretty on, tough on to miss, and not to mention he's four leaking. Four guys, JB. I know. Four out there. How did four miss that high stick? And they're, they're, it's not like it's away from the play or anything. Like, it clearly, you know, should be something that's caught. I know. Why don't, let's listen to Sheldon uh, Keefe on, on his thoughts on that. He's just a good, smart veteran player. And... Well, I'm uh, watching... Zach Gassin-Reese gets sewn up on the table uh, yeah. after the game there. It's, it's a little hard to take, but we're happy with the two points. <laughs> it's hard to take. Well, he didn't have much to say because he said it all on the ice. Yeah. Just red-faced <laughs> and sweating at the ref. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's... I, 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 I see a guy that... Uh, I, hasn't taken his foot off the gas pedal since that embarrassing road trip in California. Well, for crying out loud, could Boston, could Boston for a minute, weren't they behind Ottawa last night? Like this team just will not lose. Look at their strength of schedule or something like you need them to have a chance. You need Boston to come back to earth right now. Their winning percentage is absolutely through the the roof. They're at an 838 winning percentage, four losses in 34 games for the Bruins so far. It's ridiculous. Before we get into uh, Willie Nylander and that uh, pretty special overtime goal that he scored, uh, y- your thoughts on Samsonov starting out of the break? Mm-hmm. Coming, coming off, yeah, uh, and that one, that one I found interesting. Did we get any answers on that? I didn't see anything any, anywhere about why they were going with him, but that was a curious decision seeing as how matt murray clearly seems to be the starter guy they had four days off there's no reason for him not to go well i I don't even understand kip what the line of thinking might have been yeah uh just an observation from afar is he's also he also got the start against philadelphia that's two starts in a row i bet you murray's got a nagging something right now either that or Samsonov's telling them, I want to play more. I just think it's so early that they would listen to him. You know, they would say, that's great. Everyone wants to play more. Uh, Matt, you're in. You know, like, I don't think that would be much of a why would they give him any sort of, why would they listen to him? Well, uh, there's the short term and maybe there's the long term play here. That they would want him around long term? Yes. He's got uh, he's he's only on a, a one year deal, if I'm not mistaken. 
Right. Is he UFA after this Yeah, year? he is, correct. Or is he restricted? I think he's a UFA, but I'll look to confirm while we're yeah. on the horn here. So he is younger than Matt Murray. I just I just think that uh that they wanna probably keep him happy. That's interesting. Yeah. So looking at right now, Samsonov is a RFA after this season. He's making one point eight. Not UFA. Right. So I assume if he progresses enough and certainly didn't like that first goal by Rosen last night. No, what the hell happened there? (laughs) he, He just fell. Yeah. He just, I don't know if he lost an edge or his ankle rolled over, but he, he fell. So he falls there. You don't like the Falk one that essentially goes through him. Like it's a he hit. It's a hard yeah. slapper, but okay, you're an NHL goalie. You know the the O'Reilly one is a, yeah. Say what you want. It's a great shot, but okay, it's yeah. not impossible to save it. So yeah, didn't like a yeah. lot of them last night. So wasn't great against Philly. Wasn't great the game before that. Yeah, maybe they just wanted him not to sit on a a bad feel. Maybe despite right. the win against Philly, I I don't know, but. I do believe that they 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 would probably look at Samsonov as a guy that might even have a, a longer future than Matt Murray here. That's interesting. Yeah, like let's say they could sign him to a four-year deal before he proves himself or a three- or four-year deal, right, before he puts up some sort of number, get him cheaper. Yes. And then what? Do you think they would still hang on to Murray's second year of his deal at 48 Whatever it is, maybe for uh, for a little while. Yeah, but I, I don't think. And and again, I mean, we're we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And trust me, that's what we, we do. We, we got know two hours. This Twitter, you don't have to remind <laughs> us. We got yeah. two hours here, and we're just spitballing here. But if in fact, you know, the Leafs have success, and you know, use your own judgment on what that means as little as getting out of the first round, a conference final, Stanley Cup final, Matt Murray would have a big play on that. And his price wouldn't necessarily be dropping. Right. Because of it. You know, it's interesting. So let's say they did, you know, just what I'm spitballing at, three or four years, it's cheap, it's whatever in the three millions, somewhere like that. I don't know if, if he's playing well to get him to do that. You probably have to give him three million. Um, you know, can you then go into next year with Matt Murray, but if you find that your salary cap situation is tightening, you find that Samsonov looks like a legitimate number one, can you find a cheaper backup if, if it ever got there before the deadline? That's, next year and and again uh you know we can get accused of getting way ahead of ourselves but this well, is we the are. way this no but 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 management doesn't right and they have to think that way they have to think this way and i think if i was to piece together two starts two consecutive starts for samsonov that type of thinking would lead into why we saw Samsonov starting mm-hmm. against St. Louis and not Matt Murray, who will get Arizona. Right. And by the way, if you if you saw Arizona beat Colorado last night, and if you were uh, still fresh off of their win in Toronto earlier this year, 
It's not a given. No, they beat uh, Boston as well. Arizona beat them for one of their four <laughs> losses, I think, is there to Arizona. Go. There you go. Yeah. All right. So uh, thoughts on the overtime before we get into Willie. Uh, let's get into Keith's decision to start on the defensive side of the puck with Kemp opening up overtime. Wanted to give that a look today. It changes the dynamic of overtime pretty significantly. I thought we defended the first bit, obviously, well. And I don't know whether it's a factor or not. I'm not quite sure. But you know, later in the overtime, when you see our best guys still have legs, still have energy, the way that Willie did to jump on that puck and take off. You know, I don't know if, if, if that's the reason why that, that works out that way. But, you know, uh, you know, I like the way that it played out to me. So can I give you my two cents on this? 100%. All right. So if you look at power play statistics and when they have success throughout a period, you you always think that the power play is going to do well at the start of a period on fresh ice, right? But that's not the case at all. You actually, NHL teams score less frequently when the power play is in the first minute of the the, um, period. And my theory on that is defensively, you have energy, right? Like that's hard to do when the PK is stop, starts, go, they're fresh, they're back and forth. It's hard to create against fresh uh, defensive players. And I kind of think that might be the same for overtime. So the other team's going to put out their best offensive players. You put out your best defensive ones. You have a pretty good chance of, you know, squashing that first attempt from the other side. And then you get to get your best players out there against the other team's fourth, fifth, and sixth best players, say. So what do you think? Is there some logic here to the the idea of starting with a defensive group? Uh, well, you know, the first thing I noticed was how long Camp's shift was. Well, St. Louis had the, the puck with, for a week. With, 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 the lost, <laughs> with the lost draw. Right. Right? So now you've really down to a four-minute overtime, and Matthews, Marner... I haven't seen the ice yet. Yeah. Right? Yep. And, yeah, I don't know. I mean, are you constantly thinking of, of going forward here or uh, are you waiting for that one opportunity? And Nylander had a very long shift on his game-winning goal, too. I, I think he was Oh, well yeah, Matthews over. was cooked by the time they scored. Matthews was cooked, but Nylander didn't, didn't remotely exert the same amount of energy over that minute and 13. Oh, he's a saver. He, he is a conserver. He, that, totally. he plays in conservation mode he's until it's time to hit the just nitrous. Waiting for yeah. that one, one moment, that little bit of weakness. And I will conserve it. Like he could have had a two minute shift yeah. and his pulse, maybe <laughs> not over like, you know, 60. Same, same as me watching on the couch with Cheetos on my <laughs> chest. But, but he's the type of guy now where, He'll pounce, and yeah. he did all over Tarasenko. He made Tarasenko look old and slow yeah. on that play. Yeah, he got separation quick. You know, to your, you know, your point here, there's almost no way to convince me that playing Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander, whether it's Riley, those guys less is a good idea. It It reminds me of one of those things where it's like, if you try a bad idea – and it works, 
is it good? Is it good for your team? Like playing Yardencroc in the top six? Like, do you want to get in the in the habit of playing David Camp and TJ Brody to start your overtime and say that this is going to be the way to success? I, tough to argue, right? It's one. They, they've won both times. They've done this. You know, but that's a two-game sample size. Do you want to be right when you try something that's maybe not brilliant? You know what I'm surprised, JB, at more? And I thought last night was a perfect example, is that I, if I am in Craig Berube's shoes last night behind yeah. the bench, St. Louis bench, I... I, I give the green light to rag the puck. I, me, personally, after watching what I witnessed over 60 minutes, mm-hmm. I'd like my chances a hell of a lot more going to a shootout yeah. than I would three-on-three three against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I know their record's bad. Yes, it I, is. I know it. Yeah. It's bad. But it's, it's a, it's a, it is correctable to, to balance the field. But yeah. when, when I watch a, a, a struggling Samsonov last night and my goalie just stopped a, a, a penalty shot and is feeling good on, on one-on-one breakaways, I, 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 take, I take my chances over Bennington over Samsonov in, in a shootout last night. Yeah. In that game, I'll take Bennington. I think that's probably part of why the Leafs have had such struggles in overtime is I bet you're right that some of the coaching against them is this in general. Like we don't want to exchange chances. Like we shoot it, they shoot it, we shoot it, they shoot it. It's like, hang on to it until you definitely have a chance. If you can't get a grade eight chance, let's just run it back, regroup. Cause yeah, they, they do have all that elite talent. And some of that may have been coaching that has, has seen the Leafs struggle the way they have an OT. And, and Willie had, I think, a uh, an opportunity maybe where I saw him drive to the net hard, but just waiting for that one opportunity with his talent and to be able to kind of, as you said, separate from Tarasenko and then go in and, and just, just shut down Bennington on the backhand uh, to me is just, it's, it's now managing. It's just being a little smarter, a little bit more cunning and, you know, at the same time, I don't want him out there a minute and 13 no. seconds, right? I you know, don't. No, but that, that's, that's another excessive. story in itself. That's another story in itself. But the talent is there that they, they just need to, to wait for that one opportunity. You know what I want to know, and I wish someone could ask him this, is on the, the, the way he gets the puck from Tarasenko, he baits him, basically. Like, he puts his stick to the inside on Tarasenko quickly and, like, makes Tarasenko pull it away, like, towards the wall. And the second Nylander put his stick to the inside so uh, Tarasenko would move the puck, he went and poked it on the other side. Now, I wonder if he was thinking, in terms of stripping the puck from him, about, all right, I'm going to yeah. lead him that way. It was brilliantly done. And then, obviously, we know how he skates and can finish. Yeah. On pace for 49 goals, 94 points. Currently has 21 and 19. Like, that's... That's next level stuff. He has found another gear, as you wrote about in the contract uh, discussion with this guy. It's a good time, eh? Don't you think it's a good time? That was well done. He looks like a bargain here for the Leafs, though. Uh, You know, they really feel like they have three superstars this year. Tavares has been very, very good, too. You know, I separate him a little bit from the pack of the four, but 
Very, very well, good. I think it's fair. And you know, the one thing, again, and he scored, and he's a fantastic goal scorer. Great play, by it's, the way, on by him and Marner. Marner's cutback. Yes. Yeah. But uh, overly surprised to hear his minutes last night. Did you did you see the tally I didn't see on his him. minutes? No. Yeah. Uh, 14.51, I think. Really? Like, you, you, you tend not to pay guys $11 million for under 15 minutes. Well, do you know what Marner's what Marner was? He must have been way, way Marner, more. Marner, I think, came over uh, twenty again. I think yeah. he was pretty locked in. Uh, uh, yeah, I Bunting got him in twenty played, minutes. Yeah, Bunting played four more minutes than Tavares last night. What and, is that about? Well, you know, I'm watching last night's game, JB, and I'm watching two guys go. You know head-to-head against each other in O'Reilly and Tavares. And a lot of similarities to me there. For sure there are. Great right? comparison. That you've got extremely high IQ guys. Good face-off guys. Good face-off guys. Uh, but they're just not gifted uh, skaters. No. Right? It doesn't come naturally to them. That uh, they they've got to work for for every inch that they uh, they get out there, and I don't know whether or not Sheldon feels like he's watching JT and feeling like he doesn't have that energy or that uh, uh, the legs that he had maybe two three weeks ago, and is this a way to maybe kind of conserve him a little bit over an eighty two game season? Mm-hmm. You know, I was wondering, do you think that being a less efficient skater is more or less of a problem in playoffs when it gets harder and heavier and the the grind wears on? Like, I wonder, I don't know that playoff hockey is faster when it gets later in playoffs anyway. Like in the third and fourth round, I wouldn't say the game is faster, but... You know, for I'm wondering if the game will come back to guys like that, seeing the success O'Reilly had in his playoff run, or if this is going to be a problem for the Leafs and Tavares as they get deeper into the year. I I, I do recall even in Islander days, JB, where uh, a few different scouts had told me that w- with John Tavares that there is there has been a tendency for him to to slow down. Yeah. Uh, late in 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 seasons, I wonder if they right? do something about that. Like they got the statistics on this, they have the the past history, just like you and I did. Like I know load management is not an NHL thing, but you're right that this could be the version of it. Saying, "Hey, where can we alleviate some of the minutes from this guy?" Knowing n- knowing that he's still elite when he's fresh and when he's got that pop yeah. in his stride. Yeah, do you see uh, you see Ryan O'Reilly? moving by the trade deadline and again i don't think st louis is ready to make any decisions at all in terms of their direction uh you watch that team and there's some moments last night where you go yeah that that team should contend yeah and then there's other times that we watch a shorthanded goal by kerfoot and go what are you guys, idiots? How does a guy, <laughs> how do you leave a guy that open in front of the net? I know. It is wild because they are only five points uh, behind the Edmonton Oilers for the last wild card spot. They have a game in hand there. Like they're in a good spot, but I shouldn't say a good spot. 
But they do have to get past a better Oilers team, a better Flames team is between them. Like Seattle's in and, and LA's in, but those teams are going to be top yeah. three in the Pacific. So we, we are talking about a, a conference now that I, I don't know. What do you need to make the playoffs there? 92? Yeah. 91, 92. And, and what's it going to be in the East? 100? 97, 98. Like yeah. that's a big swing. It is. It is for sure. So they do feel like a team too, where if they get in playoffs, having won a cup, having veteran guys, having some good defensemen where you say, yeah, they'd be not fun to play and could win a round or two. But I still think Kipper that they are very honest about where they are. One of the things I love uh, about Doug Armstrong there is think about to previous uh, seasons, the blues have had on a playoff run, like in a year they were going to make playoffs, they traded Paul Stastny to Winnipeg, whose contract was going to expire. In a year they were going to make playoffs, they traded Kevin Shattenkirk. You know, th- these are tough decisions that they made in years that they were pretty good. So it's tough for me to look at Armstrong and say, oh, he thinks they're going to get in. He's not going to move those guys. He does not seem like a guy who hangs on to guys and loses them for nothing. So I am almost certain knowing that that Ryan O'Reilly will either be signed or traded and almost certainly traded uh, before the trade deadline. Are his numbers so bad that it would uh, scare, like, teams off of paying what they otherwise would on a on a regular type of season for him. My God, you is, want to get a defensive he, center and he's minus, what is he, minus 20? Minus 26. <laughs> I think last night, he went in the last night as the worst plus minus in the league. Which no. is just Didn't he win crazy. a Selkie? He won a Selkie, didn't he? Listen, this is, this is a, a great 200-foot player. Yeah. He did. And he did win a Selkie. Jeez. The major reason why I picked them to win the Stanley Cup the year that he went there. Yeah. But... Those are not Ryan O'Reilly type numbers. It's funny because there are certain guys who you say that aren't great skaters who thrive with that as they get older because they're they're the same guy. Joe Thornton, you know, or uh, Yarmer Yager. Those guys were excellent when they were older, even though they were never fleet of foot. But some guys lose just a step too much and can't be the same player. Interesting to know if O'Reilly's just having a down year on a bad team or if it's a reflection of what he really is at this point and someone's going to give up a boatload to get, you know, pretty seriously damaged goods. Yeah, I think that uh, they're definitely going to be a team that's going to uh, need at least a a good month, I think, to see where this thing goes and, right. and where it ends up. The Edmonton Oilers with a huge win last night. Uh, holding on to that wild card spot uh, in the Western Conference. Okay, let's take a quick break. We're glad everyone's on board here. Justin Bourne, Nick Kiprios. We're back after these words with Hall of Famer and one of the most colorful hockey players to ever play the game, Brett Hall. This is Real Kipper and Bourne on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Welcome back to Real Kipper and Born. I am on location. 
Nick Kiprios is currently trying to figure out technology on the other end. Uh, we are awaiting Brett Hull, who should be joining us momentarily to answer some questions about the St. Louis Blues. The Blues being an interesting case this year, as we were talking about coming out of the break, uh, Ryan O'Reilly is a guy who, you know, struggling this season, minus 26, which is what Kipper had given me for information prior the uh, to the break there, you know, near the league worst. You know, your mileage may vary on your thoughts on plus minus, but the general rule of thumb is you don't want to be near the bottom of the league. But if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and you look at a guy like O'Reilly, it's impossible not to imagine what the best of him would look like. And those are the decisions that they'll be up against is what can you get out of a guy who has proven so much before and so far this season is not looking like the best of himself. And another guy that is in that ilk and, you know, thinking about the Maple Leafs again for potential deadline ads um, is uh, a Montreal Canadian right now where Josh Anderson is an interesting guy that I've talked about for Kipper with Kipper as well. That's, that's kind of what we do off the air here. We just sit around and say, who are some potential ads that could be interesting for the Maple Leafs? You know, O'Reilly is the pipe dream, just the salary is so much and trying to do the math on that and make that work uh, seems like it, a little harder. Anderson, unfortunately, you're left with the the longer contract, um, you know, and it seems unlike a Kipper. I'm just spitballing some of the things we talked about of potential ads for the Toronto Maple Leafs at the deadline. You're, uh, you had mentioned to me in the in the past that not in love with the potential idea of a, a Josh Anderson, a guy that I thought would be all right. Oh, hello. Have we got Kipper? Can we hear him coming through? All right. No Kipper coming through. I was just hearing him on my computer. So that was thrilling for all of you, I'm sure to get his non-take on Josh Anderson. <laughs> They'll continue to work on that uh, on the other end of things for us. Um, you know, in talking about deadline stuff and and potential situations for the Toronto Maple Leafs about what they may do, it's obviously one of the sexiest conversations around the Leafs is how do they get better before the playoffs? What sort of ads can they make and what sort of ones will they make I think the the biggest debate has been, it comes down to, is it going to be at that left-wing position or is it going to be a defenseman? And I watched that hockey game last night and I watched the Leafs often thinking about, are they complete? Where can they add? Where's the most important place? It's tough not to feel like the guys that I originally had as question marks for them, that would be the Sandine and Lilligren pair, it's tough not to feel like they have changed the conversation because they've been so good this season. You know, they they feel much less like guys who you want as seven eights that can go in and play a few minutes and much more like guys who can, in fact, be the third pair. The You know, for a long time, I had the concerns that were they physical enough? Were they strong enough to stand up to some of these Bigger guys in playoffs, you know, you think about going up against the Tampa Bay Lightning, their fourth line is Pat Maroon and Corey Perry. Do you want that to be Sandine and Lilligren grinding it out in the pits against those guys? But, you know, for a long time, that seemed like a non-option to me. But just seeing the way those guys move the puck, the way they break out of their own end, their craftiness and the way that they handle bigger guys, I do think now that those guys are solid guys. So, if you look at the six and you've got Riley and Brody and Hall and Giordano and Sandine and Lilligren, 
I understand why people are saying D is not the area where they need to add. They need to find a left winger. They need to find additional scoring. And, you know, I, I still struggle with the idea that they're not going to need a seventh D man at some point. But it is feeling more and more like they're limited on the offensive side of the puck. That they're, sorry, I shouldn't say limited on the offensive side of the puck. Limited in the amount of guys who can score. It just, you know, watching Kerfoot and Yarncroc and even Engvall and how effective those guys can be, it's not, it's not comfor- comforting to know that if the big guys get shut down in the postseason that you need one of those guys to score. So you look around the league and you look at the, the St. Louis and Blues, and I'll wrap this back around to someone I considered, you know, a little bit there with O'Reilly, is would you maybe want Tarasenko instead? You know, if you're going to pick off the St. Louis Blues... If they're going to sell someone, I understand that Tarasenko just turned the puck over and you just watched Willie Nylander roast him. He's not a perfect hockey player by any means. But if the acquisition cost is less, if he's someone who can create and can score, you know, I, I you know, to mention Anderson again as someone for, for the Leafs, his contract length is atrocious. The Tarasenko one is a one-year, one one-time deal. Kipper, I'm just kicking around, guys. I, I think you're with me. Can I? Are you there? Yeah, you got me. Yeah, I'm, I'm kicking around potential ads for the deadline uh, for the Leafs here. And the question of, I know you had mentioned Josh Anderson, not a guy you love. Would you well, rather? No, no, no. There's there's so much to love about Josh Anderson. Okay. Um, number one is he's a he's a unique talent. There's just not right. There's not many Josh Andersons out there, and the closest one um, is a is is one that's already won a Stanley Cup, and that's Tom Wilson. But outside of that, you tell me, you find me another man that big that can skate like that. Yeah, so for, I think we when we talked about before, it's like a consistency thing, right? Like how often do you get that? How often can he be the best of himself type of thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. And uh, it looks awfully good when you're when you're in a situation where you're in the first round of the playoffs and he's on Montreal and those first few shifts are real noticeable of a guy like that. And he's had scoring success against the Leafs as well. Oh, he's had moments. He's had a lot of playoff right. moments where he's been really good. That's great such... moments. Yeah. Fantastic moments. And I think that's the one thing that's still missing from that, the, that leaf lineup is, is a guy that can be in your top nine that can real, really have a, a physical presence. I wonder if they would consider him then. I didn't realize you're more on board than I thought you would be with the idea yeah. of Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. He's There's, just, he's big and he skates. I mean, it's tough not to love yeah. that. I wrote an article last week as well about, uh, you know, certain players out there and, you know, Lawson, uh, Lawson Kraus in Arizona, which uh, Lee fans will get a, a look at mm-hmm. uh, tomorrow night is another guy. But I don't believe for one second Arizona's shopping him or have interest in moving him. I think he's just, if I'm not mistaken, Kraus just signed a, a long-term deal with yeah. Arizona. And it's it's not outrageous. I yeah. think it comes in around $4.5 million. Yeah, it's just, I guess, for Arizona, when do they want to be good? It just seems like forever. Every time they get anyone who's any good, that's the next guy to, that they trade away. It's just another asset on a good contract to them. I don't know when they're going to try to be good, but yeah, I, I bet you could get Kraus given he's going to be 30 by the time they're good, right? He's 25 now, but it is a good contract. 4.3 for the next four years, 4. five 3. years. Yeah. Even cheaper than I thought. Yeah. Until 27. All right. You are now the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay. 
And Sick, I'm, I'm rich. offering you, I am offering you Kraus and Chikrin. <laughs> okay. Talk okay. to me. What do before, you need? Before I ask you what you have to give up, just tell me what that does for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, I mean, it takes care of two things, two very issues that we have identified. One is a lack of sort of top six, top nine scoring. Not that Kraus, yeah, I mean, Kraus can, he's having a great year on the offensive side of things. But also, the Leafs are 31st in the NHL in scoring from the back end. You know, so Chikrin helps them out there and it gives them two really good contracts uh, that you feel okay about. So it changes the Leafs entirely. You obviously have to move things around, though, to make it possible. Oh, no, for sure. You're definitely going to have to uh, work, first of all, the ability to squeeze in. I guess it would come under $9 million for two of those players, which I think is like huge value, first of all. Yes. I mean, I'm watching Darnell Nurse last night at 9.25 by himself, and... It's it's hard on him every given night to to live up to that. Yeah. So here you have two guys like that that can come in collectively under what Darnell's. Yeah. No. I mean, you know, it's wonderful. It's, so it's, a, it's 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 a different it's a different ball game. So that means you're going to have to kind of clear out a little bit of money. I would assume that you'd have to give up a couple of contracts to make sure that you can squeeze that in. Uh, Kerfoot would come to mind at 3.5 million, but keep in mind that you've, you, you've, you've started off with 5.6 of Jake Muzzins. Right. Yeah. So that's right. That's I, almost I a wash. Consider that. Yeah. Right. It's, a, it's almost a wash when you have Kerfoot coming back to Arizona, moving, uh, Kraus in and having, having essentially Chikrin take over. This is the fantasy Muzzin. stuff, eh? The, like that's the best case scenario for the Leafs. A deal I got to like think so. Yeah. I got to think so. So what what would you be willing to give up? I mean, you know, given the term on those contracts, now you can talk about, okay, it's Nyes and it's Robertson and it's a first and it's, you know, maybe two firsts. I mean, I shouldn't say maybe. It's got to be two firsts, right? Has to be. I mean, you're yes. talking about two guys who are 25 and what 26 or something like that, and you know, pretty pretty high end hockey players on good deals. I gotta think, yeah. Well, when you, you look yeah. at like what Tampa Bay had to do for Hegel, you're not when you make these trades, you can't look at the assets out as directly for the player. It's for the player versus their contract, and Hegel is good. But the fact that he's making one point five million and it was for multiple years—that's what you're paying for. You're paying for the value deals, so you're not just paying for Kraus and Chikrin. You're paying for their excellent contracts. Yes. Yeah. 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 So two first rounders, nice. Um, you got to throw in one more prospect there, or is that enough? Roni and Topi are out there. I don't. You know, I'm. I know this is a Leaf show, but I can't claim to be watching much uh, European hockey these days. We cover the NHL, so I don't know how those guys are or what they're expected to be. But, yeah, I mean, I think you're pretty comfortable taking a shot if they need one of those guys, too. That's just a it's a it's a monster deal that completely changes, completely changes uh, the look and feel going up against 
a, a Boston or Tampa. Let me ask you, though, does it feel, you know, do you want the best players on a bad team? Do you feel like those guys have the stench of losing on them or wouldn't know how to play in these big games because their whole careers have just been kind of like, ah, it's Arizona. Anything we do that's good is a positive. My first instinct to tell you is no, I wouldn't worry about it with these two guys. Uh, you know why? How about Lindholm from Anaheim, who's who was garbage helping Boston? That's a he's fine. He's fine, uh, but uh, OEL in Vancouver isn't. No, very isn't. Right? Yeah, good point. And there are some people that saying that if you if you could get uh, OEL out of Arizona, he could win a Norris somewhere. And it's it's been a disaster there in Vancouver for him. Is that because he went almost 10 years without playing meaningful, meaningful hockey? I, I, it certainly could have something to do with it. I mean, you're just not and, in those situations. Yeah, and, and we are talking about Oliver ekman Larson, yeah. of course, who's uh, got many years left on, what, $8.25 million in Vancouver. Yeah, that's, I mean, that contract, that trade looks so bad now. They had the opportunity to move on from the contracts that were killing them, which was Beagle and Roussel and Louis Erickson. Those would be done by now. And now they're once again saddled with this Garland deal and OEL. That did not work out for them, did it? Not right now. And they are scrambling. There's no question about that. Do they they sit and wait uh, on that one or... Are they now in full play to to move Bo Horvat? Those are some of the questions. But uh, he scored twice know, last night, eh? Two more for him. Four point night. I mean, what kind of trade package is that guy going to fetch? What's he got? You know, uh, not much, to be honest with you. I every time you say that, I can't believe it. Not much. <laughs> Tell me who's trading for him? The Leafs. Are the Leafs trading for him? That's really all I care about. Tell me about so, why the Leafs okay. can't can't work it. Okay, uh, and 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 if if it's the boatload that you think, what are you what are you giving up for two months? You're just well, renting him, right? Yeah, You're just renting him for for thirty games, mm-hmm. and hopefully a round or two. No, thirty in games and four rounds. Yeah, that's right. Need sixteen more wins extending into March, uh, or sorry, into June. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, just having traded away what they have traded away, you know, going into this year, they this year's draft, they have their first, they have a third, they have two thirds actually, and a fifth. I don't know. I don't, what do you think? Kip a first? Would a first do it? They need more than that. Uh, yeah. And, uh, I, to, to me, to me, uh, if you want to go get Bo Horvat. Uh, I I would not go much further than a first and a prospect, and it's not it's not. I'm not giving you Matthew Nyes, and hopefully not a, a recent first. Maybe you can and get I them to take your 2024. I can't. Five. I can't. I can't blow my brains out on another rental. Yeah. So, for for Bo, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of teams that can't go much more than a first rounder and a, a mid prospect. God, he's going to end up and, a Bruin, isn't and, he? And, and like, you know, I can't give you uh, like it's got to be a, a twenty to thirty, and I still got to be you know make sure that I can fit him in. So something's gonna have to 
something's I, I can't I can't give you the boatload that you're looking for. Right. Yeah. So it's probably not a fit with Toronto. Will will be interesting to see. Like I just think if you're the Canucks, I don't understand waiting. You know, oh, there's more suitors at the deadline. It's like what if Bo Horvat gets hurt? Bo Horvat has been red hot. Like this guy, if you're going to trade him, you can get the most possible for him today. I don't get the whole idea that you have to wait till the you know early March to trade this guy and give a team 30 games. You, you, you do because you're not stepping up with an offer they can't refuse. They think they think it's going to get better. And you know what the problem is, JB, if you look historically, it tends to get worse Yeah, at the deadline where you think you're going to get your first rounder and you end up getting your second and a fourth instead. Yeah. And this front office doesn't have a ton of experience. Rutherford obviously does, but you got a first-time GM, right, and Patrick Alvin, a uh, whole new new staff there. So, yeah, I don't know. To me, it's start with some little wins. You get some clarity for your organization. I also think there's something negative about being held in limbo, waiting for that next step, to waiting life is going to change when you move on from guys. It just feels like their team is temporary and they know it. I don't know. It's it's a mess in Vancouver right now. All right. You want some breaking news? What do you got? Toronto Maple Leafs find $100,000 by the National Hockey League. Find 100000 Find 100000 What'd they do? They violated the collective bargaining agreement. The National Hockey League announced today that it has fined the Toronto Maple Leaf organization $100,000 for the team's travel to St. Louis on December 26, 2022. I bet this, you they knew that that fine was coming and did not care. Uh, I would assume that we are completely splitting hairs on what time the plane left on December 26th. Because <laughs> you're allowed to travel on the 26th? Uh, allow... Uh, allow... Uh, uh, six minutes, eight minutes, you know, <laughs> are we talking 11.54 p.m. to 12.01 p.m.? That is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. The league's like, let's just put 100K in the coffers here in the Leafs' behest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, hey, listen, I know the Leafs have a boatload of money, but nobody wants to just stroke a check for 100 grand for for nothing. No kidding. $100,000, man. All right. But, you know, at, at the same time, I don't know. I think, listen, this wasn't around when I, when, when I played, okay? So we were all in a mad scramble. You get to you get back whenever you get back. Uh, most nights I played on December 26th. Yeah. So they don't, they don't want anybody traveling on 26th. But, you know, if the players – if the players want to leave a little extra early, right? And no one's complaining. Right. What do you care if it leaves 10 minutes or half an hour or one hour uh, at midnight, you know, like if, if the players aren't complaining, you think any of the Leafs complained about I know. a plane leaving too early? No. Like when you're coming back and you got to get there, you got to be at the rink. You might as well just get there, you know? I'm yes. curious to know what time they would have left or what they're grinding over here because it seems like something that the team, the play, maybe the players did complain. Maybe they said, hey, we weren't supposed to be back this early and the Leafs said we had to punish us. That's probably not happening. Yeah. So, <laughs> listen, uh, 
what's the alternative that you get up 5 a.m on day of right? yeah day of no right and it's like i gotta think that this is gonna have to kind of get fixed a little bit somehow some way because if you're the players i get you want to protect an extra day yeah but you're not doing me any favors to play on the 27th and we heard all all, all the scrambles you know to get in and well yeah like physically getting there was challenging. I can't believe they would weigh in on this with money. Well, uh, PA's got a job to do, and that's protect uh, the agreement. Yeah. I get that, but we're going to have to do some research on this one, me and you, to figure out exactly what time that plane left. The, the one thing I see is just Chris Johnson had tweeted that the league's collective bargaining agreement stipulates that the twenty third to the twenty sixth are supposed to be free of team activities. So I'm presuming. This is like they were supposed to leave uh, at midnight on the 27th? I suppose technically you are free and clear to leave after 12.01 Eastern, right. I, I guess. So I guess or is, it, or is it local? Is it midnight local? Like if you're L.A., right. but you're losing three hours. So I don't know. Yeah. It sounds goofy. The whole thing sounds goofy to me. You know what else happened is uh, Keith got fined $25,000 for demeaning contact directed at the officials during NHL the NHL game on, on Tuesday, yeah. December 27th. So we, we, we talked about that earlier in the show, right? He was very animated. And uh, I find that interesting that that they would not give him a warning or... I know. So... There must be some history there already that they're not very happy with them. He must have had a bit of a, a book on him. Right. They, mu- they must have had a book on him to slap him with 25. Yep. Okay. So, Kipper, do you want to go to the text line with Tristan, or do you want us to take a break and try Holly here? Well, or yeah, what? why don't we try a break? Uh, I, I don't know what hole Holly would be on, uh, but maybe we can find <laughs> out after the break. Okay. We also got Luke Fox uh, on the wings here. Plenty more here on Real Kipper and Born. We'll take a quick break and we'll follow it up after these words. All right. Sounds good. This is Real Kipper and Born on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Nick Kipper, Justin Born. Kipper, Jamie, Kipper live on location, 10,000 leagues under the sea. I got to think Holly's in extra holes. Think so? Yes. And there's probably a lot of cash on the line here. Listen, I, I don't blame Holly if my choices are hanging out with you or me or playing golf right now. I'm I'm putting the D in the ground, brother. Hey. Can we make sure Luke Fox shows up? He can't be golfing. Yeah. Have a look outside. I don't think he's playing it. Don Valley might still be open, but I don't think oh so. You getting Maybe golf I'll- gear for Christmas, Kip? Nah, nothing. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, yeah, I didn't need much there. You're a grown you up. You what? just buy stuff when you need it. It's nice. Oh gosh, did you get you guys loaded up? I mean, your kids are young, so I'm sure you went nuts. You know, it's that they're that age, like six. My daughter's almost three. It's like it's the peak years for Christmas. So yeah, not 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 gonna say it was a bargain, but fortunately, my son has no idea what things cost. So like a six ninety nine Nerf gun from the drugstore at the corner is worth a million dollars to him. So <laughs> we had a good time. You know, that's not gonna last very long. Eh? They as soon as they know how to uh, 
use Amazon, you're done. <laughs> yeah, we're still okay there in the interim. And good news, Kip, we are joined by Luke Fox. Wow, thanks for joining us, Luke. <laughs> Merry belated Christmas and happy new early New Year, gentlemen. So where are you? Did thanks, you uh, did did Sportsnet find you for leaving too early or too late? I am in Mullet Arena for the very first time. And I, I told Morgan Riley, I, I know he hasn't talked to the media in a long time, but I have to talk to you guys first. So um, he's, he's back practicing. The Leafs are in this to- tiny, cozy little uh, university rink, um, and it's quite a scene. But uh, being in the desert, I did not expect this. It's cool and it's rainy, probably the only day of the year that it rains in, uh, in Arizona. But that, here we are. So the news just came down, Luke, that the Leafs have been fined $100,000 for violating the CBA rule of leaving on December 26th. Have you gotten any news uh, or specifics on how it went down? I, I hate to tell you that I don't because I just landed in, uh, in Phoenix and rushed to the rink and just got here. So Good news, I, I do. I, I have info. I, I have info. Have any, I don't have any news. Okay, let's let's hear it. Let's hear it, Justin. They uh, there's a, a, a Twitter account called like Flight Tracker or Sport Tracker, whatever it is. Uh, they left at 10:16 p.m. out of their private airport here in Toronto uh, and landed at 10 whatever. So they, according to my math, sorry, 10:18. They left 102 minutes early and it cost them a hundred thousand dollars, almost a thousand dollars per minute early that they left. Oh, my goodness. Well, I know it was important for them to try and squeeze in a morning skate in St. Louis. They, did, they didn't want to just go in cold after those days off and not have a, a morning skate. But So I guess in, in order to get there in time, they, they broke a rule. Interesting. Yeah, fascinating concept that they, can, well, <laughs> they would find you know, that. Uh, this really does come down to, does this give them a, a competitive edge? You know, and... That's that's the only thing that you wonder. And let's just say, for argument's sakes, that the Leafs knew that they would get fined a hundred grand, and they just said, "No, I want my my my, my players in bed uh, at a reasonable hour, and it's worth the two points." I, is that a possibility here? It's interesting. Um, you know, I, I'm. I mean, no owner wants to cut that check. But if it means a win, I, I, or, or I maybe, see where, or where maybe, come from. Maybe they do, Luke. Maybe they do. And they go, hey, listen, uh, if, if three-quarters of the league doesn't want to write that check, that gives us a competitive edge. We'll take it. I can't blame them if that's the case. Well, I mean, the organization tries to look for an angle any way it can, right? By, whether it's by investing more in their medical staff or their skills and development staff or their practice facilities. So it wouldn't surprise me, but I, I, I don't know if it, it – it just seems like something that you'd, you'd like to avoid if possible, especially when it, it just comes down to a matter of a couple hours. For sure. So, Luke, what's your thoughts on where the Leafs are at right now? They've won th- – they're on a three-game win streak. Uh, you know, they've started Samsonov a couple of games in a row here, which is curious. Why don't you just give us an overview of where – reset on the Leafs as we head uh, post-Christmas and into January. Yeah, I mean, I think they're in a really good place, especially considering where they were a month into the season. They had an absolutely fabulous November and a really strong December, much like last season, um, rebounded through those early hurdles. I I think the most promising things 
to me um, is the fact that they've been dealt some adversity in the terms of multiple injuries to their defensemen, namely Morgan Riley. TJ Brody was out for a while. Uh, and then it's been a steady leak of, of certain guys, whether it's Jordy Ben or Victor Mete. Their depth has, has really been tested, and they've responded really well to that. So I think that's the, the main positive. And the second, second one is the defensive buy-in um, of, as a five-man unit. I think that bodes them really well. It seems to me, top-down, the, um, the messaging is, yeah, we want to have a, a fantastic regular season and get home ice if we can, get the highest seed possible, but really we want to learn how to win in a more playoff type of game. Uh, and you're not going to get that on a lot of nights, especially, you know, with so many sort of weaker uh, clubs in the NHL right now. Um, you know, there's a lot of soft nights. But to go into St. Louis and, and get a win when, you know, you, you're probably not at your best, uh, to grind out low-scoring games when at the early beginning of the season the five-on-five offense was a little sluggish Um, you know these are all positive signs the fact that they rank second overall in the nhl in goals against i think is just a remarkable thing um you know just next to boston which is just tearing through the league but to be second in that category i think if you would have told a lot of the fans uh you know two three years ago that this so-called high-flying offensive core would do that I, I think that's um, something that would surprise people. I think it bodes well for playoff success. The problem is um, you step back and you look at the standings and the East is absolutely loaded. Uh, I believe six of the top eight teams by points percentage are all in the East. And of course, three of those are right in the Atlantic. So uh, they're going to have their work cut out for them. Luke, were you, were you uh, surprised to see Samsonov take the net in St. Louis? He he got the last start. You assume, if anything, they'd come back to Matt Murray, but there was Samsonov to, to start uh, uh, post-Christmas. Yeah, I was, Kipper. Yeah, I was mildly surprised just because they'd been pretty much straight alternating uh, one and the other for the bulk of December. Uh, and, and I think he kind of asked for it. You know, he really wasn't happy with his game in Washington, which was his worst performance as a Leaf. Um, he got the win against Philadelphia at the matinee right before the Christmas break. But after that game, you know, we talked to him, and he really wasn't happy. You know, he kind of pointed to the goal scorers bailing him out. And I don't even think he had a fantastic game with St. Louis. You know, after the game, he admitted he was a little bit tired. He said probably everyone was. But they had a two-goal lead, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's going to overtime and the Leafs overtime record hasn't been the best this season. So they were at risk of, of, you know, squandering another one because the goaltending was, was rather average. And these three, these three soft starts are coming off back to back shutouts. So he's, he's slipping a little bit. Uh, But I mean, I think that's the beauty of having the tandem. Matt Murray will go tomorrow night here in, uh, in Tempe and then hopefully give Samson off a a little bit of rest and and time to get his, his mind right. So Samsonov went back to the Leafs and said, I want to play more. And you're telling me now uh, on some nights when I played four minutes, uh, all I needed to do was ask for more and I would have got more. <laughs> yeah, if you said please, maybe. <laughs> Cherry on top? 
All it takes. Well, some other guys are going to have their minutes kind of uh, shortened a little bit here in in the near future. I think Rasmus Sandin is day-to-day and Morgan Riley is fairly soon. What are the updates on those guys? And and I guess what do you expect to see happen with the decor when they do come back? Yeah, it's going to be fascinating because um, they they have been rolling without them. I I would expect that Connor Timmins, the new guy, probably – sits uh once one of these guys is healthy they're both here on this trip uh we're going to hear from sheldon keith probably in about five minutes so we should get a better sense of if one of them is is able to go as early as tomorrow but the fact that they're on the trip the fact that morgan riley isn't just skating alone and he's now participating in practice i think is a, a really positive step and you know the team has been extra cautious and they've been allowed to be extra cautious because the winds are there, so they haven't felt pressure to rush anyone back from injury. We're talking to Luke Fox, NHL writer for Sportsnet.ca. Kelly Yonkrock, three points last night. Uh, I was telling JB, don't think for one second that they ever signed him, expecting him to be a top six uh, forward. But essentially, that's, that's what he was last night. And I think he'll be a top six tomorrow night against Arizona. Yeah, and, and good on him, right? Like, here's this opportunity. Nick Robertson's injured. Dennis Malgan didn't, couldn't stick, and he got traded, sent out the door. It's like there's this gaping hole at second line left wing just begging for someone to snatch it. And I think we all have our suspicions that that might be an area that Kyle Dubas addressed before March 3rd, um, the trade deadline. But in the meantime, if you're Kelly Yarncroke, why not make yourself uh, a you know, available to just snatch that and run with it. He's got uh, points, a, a little point run here. I believe it's like eight in his past seven games. That was his best night as a Leaf, three points. Uh, the goal was, you know, it was it was something at, at the time it was a go-ahead goal, but what really impressed me was his assist on the Kerfoot shorthanded goal. All the work he did on the corner, like just a, a pure effort play. And he says that, you know, five-on-five that that Marner and Tavares just make it easy to play with. And, of course, you know, that's kind of us on the outside. That's how we think it would be easy to play with those guys. But you think of all the the guys that have had an opportunity, and it hasn't been easy for them. It wasn't that easy for Malgan. It wasn't that easy for Robertson. It hasn't always been easy for Kerfoot. So if Yarncroft can can pile some points, contribute offensively, just be reliable uh, in his forecheck and responsible defensively, um, you know, he could build a, a little case for himself that maybe that he's the guy to, to take that position. So looking at the guys at the fringes, because that's the sexiest thing to talk about. But hey, Toronto Maple Leafs show here. Joey Anderson is you know, in the lineup pretty consistently where, you know, Dryden Hunt is maybe someone who's going to get some opportunities down there. Are we seeing some shape of what the fourth line will look uh, like by the time they get to playoffs? Yeah, we're starting to, and I think it's really telling that, that Kyle Dubas made that trade of, of Dennis Malgum for Dryden Hunt. Uh, it's almost as if he's come around a little bit on his thinking that you need a bit more of a balance in terms of the type of players that you dress on the fringes of your lineup. Remember like guys like Nick Patan and stuff? Just like, let's get as many skilled guys as we can, and hopefully we'll outscore the opposition. Well, I think he's coming around to the realization that you need a bit of a different look, a bit of a different identity at the bottom of your lineup. I don't think Dryden Hunt's going to come in here and set the world on fire. Um, But I do think that, you know, from all accounts, he'll be a reliable fourth-line player. You know what you're going to get. He's going to finish some checks, um, hopefully be hard on the forecheck. If he can chip in some scoring, 
you know, all the better. But I, I think they want to have a different element in that bottom group. I mean, just think of the energy, even though it was a short time, a guy like Colin Blackwell brought a little bit of spark to the fourth line for a while there. And I think that's, that's just something that the Leafs need, just a different look. They kind of figured out what Dennis Noggin was. It wasn't working. Let's see what Dryden Hunt can do in that role. And, and I, I think Sheldon Keefe was hesitant to mess with a winning lineup in St. Louis. But then now that they've had a practice under their belt, I would expect Hunt to get a, his debut at some point during this trip. He's not a big guy. Uh, he's not really, really mean. Isn't he just another Aston Reese? He may be. He may so be. Do you need two? <laughs> well, uh, I, I think it's worth a look. I mean, did you want the Dennis Malgan experiment to continue? I mean, he's not a difference maker. I think that trade is, is still to come. But by all accounts, you know, he's a, he's a hard forechecker, and maybe you do need two of those guys on, the, on your fourth line. If you can just sustain some, some ozone pressure, uh, and I, I know it's not, it's not that sexy, like you're not going to pile up goals, but if you can sustain ozone pressure, get off the ice and let the big guys hop on, that seems to be the plan for the, the fourth line. And JB, you buying that? Yeah, I am. I am buying that. I, you know, it feels like they're able to keep the puck out of their own net, and you look at all the fancies, and you know, even not the not fancies, they don't get scored on a lot. I think they're not asking for much more than let us rest our best guys, and you know, that's the plan, right, Kipper? Yeah, is it- I, yeah, no, yeah. For me, I I need more out of that fourth line. I think you want them to do just something other than tread guys. water. I, I uh, just. Six feet, 190 pounds. You know, if I go back, guys, to even when Tampa Bay came in, there were shifts out of Maroon and Belmore. And I, I think Belmore just absolutely ran Marner into the, the wall. And it's just they the Leafs aren't heavy on the fourth line like that. And even if they had one guy, just one guy, that presented a little heavier than six feet, 190 pounds, like Austin Reese and Dylan do, I think it would go a longer way. Well, let me bring that to the D- decor then. And when I was treading water there on the uh, by myself talking about you know what the Leafs needed, I feel like Lilligren and Sandine are good enough to be in the lineup every night as a third pair, but they don't have the size. Luke, do you think that that's something the team would want to address? Yeah, I do, and and I think it is something they're they're taking a look at. I do think they feel like they need a different type of defenseman. I mean, Jordy Ben kind of is that, but you know he's getting a, a little bit longer in the tooth, and and he's more of a depth guy. I think in a perfect world, you have a guy that that plays in your top four that brings that that element, and you know obviously that it's something they thought about over the summer and decided to stick. With Jake Muzzin, they thought he'd be that guy. They thought he could stay healthy. It hasn't worked out. So I think ever since the the realization that Muzzin's injury is going to be long-term, I think they've started to think that they need a little bit more bite on that back end. And, uh, you know, one one of the names that comes up for me is Luke Shen. And and that's not just because he's a former Leaf. I think he's kind of rejuvenated his career. He's playing more minutes in Vancouver. I'm not a believer that the Canucks are going anywhere, and I think it would serve their best interest to sell, uh, and he's a right shot. I, I, I really like that fit, and I don't think he should be too expensive. Another guy's Gavrikov in, in Columbus. 
but uh, I expect that that's a lot more expensive. That yeah, I was going to say his price is probably a bit higher than Luke Shen's will be. So it it, it, it depends yeah. what kind of market you want to dabble in. Like how much do you want to spend on that element? Yeah, I hear I hear Tampa Bay want Luke Shen back. Is that right? That's that's a swing, isn't it? A little bit. It is, yeah. You'd rather get him than have Tampa get him. <laughs> if they face him in the first round. Well, is there not going to be an arms race between these three teams in the Atlantic? Like, there must be. Like, Boston's going to be eager. It's It could be Bergeron's last crack. Like, Krejci's last crack. Like, I, I think it could be an Atlantic arms race the next month or, month or two. Who's in the best position? Well, right now, Boston. Their goaltending is is phenomenal. They have they have the uh, the experience and and the knowledge that they can they can do it. I think there's also a mental element at play with Toronto that they need to overcome. Right. That, that Boston and Tampa do not have because they know they've done it. The, the Leafs just believe they can, and I, I think that that does play into it. And also, I also wonder about the the GMs and how hard they're willing to swing. We've seen Don Sweeney take a take a swing. Hampus Lindholm was a was a big fish last summer. Breezebois always goes for the big fish. Uh, he he outbid Toronto for Brandon Hagel at the last deadline. Kyle Dubas has been a bit gun shy since the Nick Foligno thing didn't work out. So I I also kind of wonder about how aggressive these three GMs are going to be. JB, uh, as far as who's in the best position with their cap, mm-hmm. what well, do you think? Well, you know, the the one thing that the Leafs have going for them is the ability to spend the muzzin money, you know, at some point here. So that that gives them a little bit of leg up there. You know, I think the initial thought was, okay, you're going to go and get a D to replace Muzzin, who costs about the same. But this is why I'm asking about Sandine and Lilligren. It feels like those guys have stepped up and kind of allowed them to spend somewhere else. So, uh, Luke, before you joined earlier, we were talking about Arizona and Chikrin and Kraus and some of the young, talented guys in Arizona that might be available, you know, would that be within the realm of realistic that it could be a Chikrin or someone like that? Well, are we seeing be. an addition? Uh, is he is he auditioning tomorrow night to Chikrin? Right. Oh, oh I, I think he'd gladly welcome a trade to Toronto, for sure. Yeah. For sure. But uh, it's just, what price are you willing to pay? Like, I think... Chickman would look great in a Leafs uniform. I, I think Lawson Kraus would too. I, I think that's a great call. But it's just how much are you willing to sacrifice? Like if if you're Bill Armstrong, you're not. I don't think Nick Robertson and a and a first does it. I, I think the price has no. got to be higher. And so so then, are you willing to part with Matthew Nice? Right? Are you willing to part with a Lilligren or a Sandine? Like now. Like yeah. it's gonna cost. It's gonna cost if you want to tread in those waters because I think some team will pay. I wonder, Kip. Do you think they would trade uh, Sandine or Lilligren? Uh, I, I'd be. You'd be crazy not to ask for yeah. uh, for one of them if you're giving up Chikrin and you don't want to give multiple first rounders away. Right. And and Luke's absolutely correct that if you. If you're even thinking about asking about Kraus, who again isn't on the market, who Arizona is is are not pushing or shopping, uh, then Matthew Nyes has to go back. And that, let me ask you, you both, 
do you think that the goaltenders have done enough that that is not a place that they will pursue at the deadline? Uh, well, I, I would say check back in on the health of the goaltenders in sure. mid-February. Yeah, health is a good right, point. But, but right now, no, I, I think they're I think they're content with it. Absolutely. Yeah. But think, uh, but uh, yeah. circle circle back closer too. Yeah. The the the, the stocks halfway through almost uh, they will not bail out on it until someone says I can't I can't step on the ice. Yeah, that makes the most sense possible. All right, Kip, got anything else for Luke? No, we're good, Luke. Thanks for stepping in, pal. So, hey, um, what are your first initial thoughts when you walk into a college building oh, and, yeah. and know that the best <laughs> league, the best league in the world, is is playing out of this place? Yeah, I, I was a little shocked, but you know what? It is it is a nicer facility than I imagined. I, I think for some reason in my head, I, I thought it would be a little run down or something but it it is tiny it is it is cozy but it'll be fun i'm really looking forward to tomorrow night i think it'll be a unique atmosphere especially with austin matthews homecoming here right right now what's has austin scored there or is like i don't know how many games he's played do you have any of that info or am i gonna have to get uh, our producer on it <laughs> i'm on it i'm on it has he scored <laughs> yeah, in arizona yet sure he has i think he has Yes. I'm pretty sure, but I yeah. Okay. Don't, you better better get someone to do, to do the research. All right. Usually, there's a lot of distractions, and sometimes it doesn't click. I was fortunate enough as a Washington Capital, I think in my second game to score a goal at Maple Leaf Gardens, and I just thought three. Ah, oh, he's all set then. <laughs> just a walk in the park. <laughs> they're coming. They're coming off a big win last night, Luke. They may give yeah. him some trouble. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll keep an eye on All right, Luke. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Appreciate okay, it, Luke. Care, Luke guys. Fox, sportsnet.ca. Right. So he's got three already. Matthews does against Arizona? That's what I was told. All right. Okay, three. Uh, so that that's, uh, you know, I, I, I don't believe he's going against everyone. I am. I'm looking. I got one in 2017, but I, I my research is worse than Tristan's apparently. That's good. All right, Tristan. I think Tristan came in my ear and said three. I wasn't sure he was able to talk to you from wherever yes. you are in the bunker. Yes. That's great. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Should we venture away from the Toronto Maple Leafs for a sec? All right. I got something for uh, you. Where do you want to go? The comment, former NHLer John Scott says, Connor McDavid is the best player in the world, but wouldn't be in his top five picks if building a playoff team right now. Wow. Is, <laughs> Any thoughts on that? Is, is John Scott a, a top five guy on, on your next All Star team? <laughs> yeah, I you know all all due respect to John Scott, and I've heard similar sentence, sentiments about how you know not sure and playoffs or whatever. But I I'm of the belief that's just crazy talk. This guy's so, just he's the best uh, player so on earth. Hold up, first pick. Is there any more uh, substance to this comment on where he's coming from on this? Like, not not there... for me. Not for me, Kipper. Like you, you watch this no, guy's no, highlight reel. Whew. Did he explain? Did John Scott go into any deeper reasons on why he wouldn't be in his top five? Not, not that I have it, it in front of me or heard it myself. Okay. My my presumption is he's talking either. about playoff style being a more physical game. Just a guess. Oh really? Well, I don't See, know. Yeah, I, I I don't get that. Like 
he was off the charts last spring. He also, right now, Connor McDavid, I actually did a little segment on this. By the way, so I land last or yesterday at Pearson Airport. Uh, Godspeed to our friend Mike Fuda, who did not do, or Fuda, who broke his ribs and wasn't able to be on TV. I landed last night, no sleep, and they're like, hey, uh, can you cover for Fuda? So I went in, did a little television last night. Um, and I ended up talking about McDavid. One of the things that I was looking into, this guy is on pace for over 60 goals and 155 points this season. I feel like we're not giving enough love to one of the all time greats in NHL history. The absolute peak. This guy is unbelievable this season. If you've, I'm sure you've watched. Yeah, I have, but I'm wondering to your point that he's not getting that much love. How many other people are watching? I don't know. The Oilers are like 19 and 16 or something like that. I don't know that this is their best year. Maybe they, yeah, that no, can be... I, I don't know if that has anything to do with that or just, you know, he's, he's out West and you know, the majority of the hockey world is like, you know, and I'm not, uh, listen, I'm, it's just one of those where the 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 West get the shit end of the stick. Yeah, you know, yeah. we know that. We know that the writers who vote know that. It's the are you staying up and watching the games thing here. Yeah. That's that's my only point. Like you know, even if the Edmonton Oilers were were on fire in a top five team, you know, is it just because it's a Western thing here and just the 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 bulk of the hockey world just doesn't give west coast games enough respect i also think it's it's like the expectation and the you know he's done it for so long and so consistently that it truly is just like you kind of know he's doing great and you assume he's doing great without even looking you just assume he's first in the league but it's it's silly to me that we you know don't give it more attention i just imagine this guy was on the toronto maple leafs and that plays into your point too, but the amount of attention and love he'd be getting is just like, it's got to be double, triple, quad, whatever the heck it is, because this season he has been unbelievably electric and is carrying a mediocre team, you know, with getting not great goaltending to relevance and to the playoffs yeah. once again. Yeah. I, I, I think, I just don't think that people are either, um, you know, not following him or not following the Oilers, but they aren't watching. All right. Well, let me ask you something else about not following world juniors. Are you a follower? Uh, listen, uh, I think I probably, uh, turned the TV on right when they either went up five, two or moments after that. And I, I shut the TV off and turned it back on again. Cause I thought it was a glitch. What's that? That they were up 5-2? No, that they were down. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, and I did watch the rest of it going that Canada's going to come back and find a way to squeeze one out here, but Czechia did not allow that to happen. So, right now, the uh, cool bet has a bet you can place, which is plus 2,500 if someone scores on the Michigan play. Uh, in the next game, given that the Canada tried to what three times over the course of that game, the coach came out and said, you know, it's a great, it's a skill play. It can help us score goals, but 
I don't know. Your thoughts on that? I saw some people saying it was kind of reflective of what Canada thought this tournament was going to be, just like a personal skills showboat. Well, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Didn't one of the players on Canada say we're not going to win a, a gold? Uh, uh, we're not going to Michigan ourselves uh, our yes. way to a gold or something? Yeah. Yes. I thought the that coach. was a great line. I thought that was a great line. Um, listen, it, it's it's fun for a lot of people to to watch it constantly, and the attempts are legit now. We know that, uh, but um, you know, we we do know what wins hockey games and championships and tournaments, and uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot more issues right now. A lot more yeah. issues, I think, early for Canada uh, on the, on the blue line or in that um, before you even have a meaningful discussion on a couple of attempts. Yeah. You know, though, Kipper, like, so it is a legitimate attempt and anytime you can try to score, it's a great play. So no criticism of the play or the decisions or whatever. And I know people are going to poo poo the idea here that I'm going to say something negative about it. Cause again, skill play and you can score on it. It just is reflective of a mindset to me where, you know, you don't normally think of doing a ton of stuff like that without a pretty relaxed mindset. And some guys are able to play that way and full credit to them. I don't know. It just, it it is three times in one game to attempt that. Yeah. You know, clearly, you know, you're you're trying to play a certain way. At some point, there's got to be someone open. I don't know. I'm not saying they shouldn't try it whenever they can. Just it is maybe reflective of what they thought the game was going to be, where they they're well, going to pile on goals and they want to be on the highlight reel. Say what you will, from generation to generation, it's still uh, perceived as a hot dog move. Sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's that element to it for sure. Yeah, I mean, there, there are. There's always going to be that element that you know there's a a trickery involved and. It, the percentages of it working are against you, right? Yeah. Really against you. That's not saying that it can't be done as, as many have proven it now, but many, is it, is it really many or is it just a fraction of the number of players playing at a very high level every night? Yeah. You know, and I think for them, a bigger problem is, is, goaltending where Canada's goaltending our national goaltending is becoming a bit of a crisis like not just the world juniors but you look at our our goaltenders in the NHL and it's fun when you play uh the game of like who's your Olympic team for Canada and we all kind of joke around about who it would be but truly Kip like who Canada does not have the goaltending it used to be Carey Price and Waugh and Brodeur and you know all sorts of superstars who's our best goalie Marc-Andre Fleury and and he's at the very tail end of his career. Yeah. So yeah. who do we have? Logan Thompson? I'm dead serious. Like Carrie, uh, what's his name? Carter Hart? Yeah. Yeah, the the, the goalie market uh, in general uh, has, has dropped. Unless you're Russian. And, not, and it's what's dropped is the feeling of their importance for me. Well, it's like yeah. running backs in football where they just said, ah, anyone can do it. Well, I, I'm starting to get the sense that when you've had so many of them train a certain way, which they all kind of look the same now. That's the idea. I shouldn't say anyone can do it. They say anyone can right. do it, but who can do it that much better than the next guy? Not many people. Yeah, but it just seems to me like 
Just make the saves that you're supposed to make. I don't want you to be Dominic Hoshik anymore. You don't have to roll around. You don't have to, you know, have this, this look upon you of being desperate. Stay conservative. Stay square to the shooter. Play the percentages. And just stop the ones that you're supposed to. And if there's a back door uh, that we don't have covered, that's not your fault. Yeah, and so, and also that like when there's a perfect shot like Riley on Samsonov yeah. or whatever, we the media just go, well, it's a perfect shot, you know. You'll give those ones up here and there rather than yeah, expecting guys to kind of flail or de- be desperate. To your point, so yeah, it is. I agree with you that that's part of the problem. When when do we see in the past Stanley Cup champion goalies be so expendable? Like, hey, we we're done with you. We we don't need you anymore. Colorado. Darcy Kemper, yeah. Stanley Cup champion. Uh, we're good. Thanks. We'll find somebody else. And and not have, you know, this uproar. I so know. go in any era in the 80s and the 90s, you know, and, and, and tell me, like, which Stanley Cup champion team showed up the following year with their number one goalie gone, and you don't really hear two words about it, really. Well, it's funny, too, because – that also kind of happened with coaching. Remember the Capitals won the cup and the next year they're like, ah, we just don't want to pay that much. We're sure the next guy could do it just as well. Yeah, no, that, that was different though. Think so? That, that was, that was, I was, uh, already done and, um, determined prior to the outcome. Was it? Yes. Yes. But it is interesting. Like Darcy Kemper is a 920 save percentage in 22 starts for the Washington Capitals, who frankly haven't been good. So he's kind of kept them afloat. They've been good lately, though. Well, I maybe. know. They, he's given them a chance to get to get back in it. Yeah, yeah. they have. And uh, uh, they're getting more out of, you know, uh, Kuznetsov. They're uh, close to getting Tom Wilson back. Backstrom, uh, our, our, our friend Alan May says that, uh, you know, it's hard to believe, but uh, there's a lot of people thinking that, you know, he's going to be able to have a, not only a comeback attempt, but a successful one here. Yeah. And I mean, Kip, they've won five in a row, the Capitals. They're nine and one in their last 10. They're in a playoff spot. They're third in the Metro. I think when we talked to May, they were all, all but dead and buried. It's, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. And I, I certainly, I had looked at them and Pittsburgh and now they're Rangers, I think have a couple of games on Pittsburgh, you know, but uh, they're all within uh, an arm's length of each other here. 43, yeah. 43, 44, Washington Pitt Rangers. You know, so when you look and, going and into your the Islanders, set- your yeah. Islanders with a big win are right in the mix too. That, that 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 metro is wow what a race yeah it's going to be easily the most interesting so when you look at the standings you know as we head into 2023 here who do you think is due to either you know kind of climb up from where they started this season or fall down is there any teams who you think are like wildly out of place in the standings compared to what they you know actually can do well where's New Jersey here because yeah three six and season. one in their last ten kept and we said okay like I don't I don't see a major fall off here with the way they've played and just their speed and and then boom all of a sudden you know they get into a bit of a rut here 
And now they're in the thick of things here for, you know, how many teams? One, two, three, six, right? Yeah. Six teams that are in a battle here. Rangers, Pitt, Washington, Islanders. And like, the you know, for this Devils team, their they're, they're next three games, they got Boston, uh, Boston, Pittsburgh, then Carolina. Like, it, they have a tough schedule over the next little stretch. I think there's going to be a bit of a reality check about what this Devils team is. You know, they they were right there neck and neck with Boston for a long time and we're talking about President's Trophy and all that, but I think they're coming back into check for, you know, they're still a very good team to me. I still think they're going to finish, you know, they'll be a playoff team and competitive, but certainly a come back to earth after a lightning start. The biggest uh, surprise for me, 35, 36 games in the regular season. Yeah. Florida is done. 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 Like not making playoffs? Not making the playoffs. Whoa. That's an early call. Yeah. Can't see it, my friend. Can't see it. 15, 15, 16, 16, and 4. 34 points. They're in the mix with Montreal, Ottawa, and Buffalo. You wrote off. Ottawa or Montreal <laughs> two weeks ago. Yeah. And they're neck and neck with Florida. Yeah. So how can you think Florida right. is still going to be in this thing? Well, because they're not going to get into the top three. I think that's safe to say. Boston, Toronto, and Tampa are legitimately good teams. Tampa has a seven-point advantage uh, currently on Florida, not to mention they have three games in hand on them, so they're not catching Tampa. So now you're looking at the wild card spots. You got the the Rangers uh, are the eighth team to get in the the second wild card, and they're ten points ahead of them. So it is. It's a it's a massive. Are you on climb. board? Are you on board right now? They're missing the playoffs. Let's bury them. Let's do it. Shovel the first scoop of dirt on the Florida Panthers, January twenty eighth, maybe. That's the first scoop? I think so. You know, Buffalo has 34 points, but at least they've got three games in hand on Florida. They're, uh, you know, their winning percentage much higher, positive goal differential. I'm not not writing out Buffalo or writing off Buffalo. You want to hear you want to hear the second scoop? Okay, on sc- Florida. Scoop it. They give the Montreal Canadiens their lottery pick. Ooh. Remember that one? Yes. Ben Sherratt. Oh, first round. No. Not lottery protected. Wow. Like, I don't know. So, yeah. So, if they were to randomly pull the Connor Bedard sweepstakes, it would go to the Montreal Canadiens. Correct. Oh, Leafs fans. That hurts to hear. But at least Florida being bad doesn't hurt to hear. A little consolation there. Oh, who wouldn't want to see Bedard in a Montreal Canadian uniform? Everyone listening to this show. (laughs) (laughs) That's your answer. Oh, come on. Yeah. Be fantastic. It would make for a fun one. That's for sure. And and, uh, we're done. We have not turned the clock to 2023, and we're done Edmonton-Calgary regular season games. Yeah, that's a scheduling error if you ask me. Maybe that's why they want to go to 84 games so you get four matchups against every every possible rivalry out there in the division. All right, on that note, uh, we're going to thank Luke Fox for joining us. Uh, Brett Hall, uh, we will track him down. He's been on the show before. We will find him for you all.
um, before it's all said and done. So uh, we'll get Brett Hull on another day. JB, thanks for doing this, pal. Yeah, no problem. Just so you know, Morgan Riley is expected to return tomorrow. It's official. Wow. And the Leafs get stronger. All right, Nick Kiprios, Justin Bourne, thanks for watching and listening. Real Kipper and Bourne, back tomorrow. Stay safe, everyone.